Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Good morning. Before we begin, um, I have a a task for you. Uh, John David and Gibson have these little slips of paper that I'm going to ask them to get up and pass out. And if you are willing, uh, this is just for my benefit. The elders have not asked me to do this. This is just for, to help me as a, a preacher, as I choose lessons. I want to always choose lessons that I think are applicable or relevant or things that you have questions about, things that maybe could be um, challenging or uplifting or Uh, helping you grow in some way. And I don't always know what those topics are, so I end up preaching general topics, which can be helpful but might not be helpful. So I'm going to pass these out uh, several weeks in a row. I won't be here next Sunday, but several weeks after that. And they are just about different areas of your uh, life. Like today's is on Bible knowledge. And so I want you to rank yourself on this little slip of paper and then write, answer the questions, just a short answer question on the bottom. And what I would like for you to do, don't put your name on it. I don't need to know who knows what, what you think about yourself, any of that sort of thing. Uh, But I do want you to, if you don't mind taking this, folding it up, and my office in the back hallway has a box outside the door with a slot in the top, just slide it in there. Uh, I'm I'm not wanting to dig into your personal life as much as I'm wanting to meet the needs of your personal life as I present God's word. So uh, this one's on biblical knowledge. There's one on prayer, one on fellowship, one on your home life. Uh, So if you don't mind doing that, just choose one of those. Now, also for the ranking system, I put, you know, somewhat, funny statements in there for you just to chuckle at, uh, some of them at least. Um, if, don't be so literal with it. They are just trying to give you a little bit of a guideline to help you decide, well, am I a three or am I a four? Uh, you know, don't come to me stressed out that you're not sure if you're a three or a four. You're welcome to circle three and four if you want to. I don't really, my, my, my goal is just to get your impression more than it is to have an exact scientific data sheet. So that, that I, I wanted to make sure you know that. Uh, so fill that out, stick it in my, uh, the, 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 my box outside my office, uh, and I would greatly appreciate it because it will help me as I organize things for next year, which, of course, uh, I'm already doing, the elders are already doing, and uh, we want to make sure that we are helping you grow. And so that's what that is about. So... All that being said, let's jump into the lesson today. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for, for coming and worshiping with us. I, I don't know how many of you know this, but up here on the pulpit, and I don't, this has been here since before I started preaching here, but there's a little slip of paper right here on the front corner of the lectern. And on this little slip of paper, it says, He who occupies this pulpit is but an unworthy servant. 
speak only to the glory of God, pointing men to Jesus. I love that. Uh, Whoever did that, thank you. Because that is one of those principles of living a life for God that I, we preachers sometimes forget. And I think probably we Christians sometimes forget. That our service, our life, our worship, our sermons we present, our prayers that we offer, they are not about us. They are about him. And they're not about satisfying some great thing in ourselves, but about giving glory to God and pointing men to Jesus. We, all of us, are but unworthy servants. And God is a glorious and amazing God. And I hope we remember that. And that's sort of what I want to talk to you about today as we continue to walk through being continually devoted to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and as we're talking about now, to prayer. So let's dig into that. I I will say as a caveat before I get started, I was, and I I think wisely counseled uh, after my last lesson on prayer, to be cautious about speaking in absolutes. Uh, There are always in prayers, because they are personal, exceptions to any sort of rule that we try to create. Uh, And I I don't want you to take what we're going to be talking about as if they are absolute rules, and and I probably spoke that way a little too um, uh, forcefully last time. Uh, But I don't want you to take them as absolute rules as much as guidelines for growth as we try to develop our life of prayer. The Bible says a lot about prayer, a lot. Uh, For instance, there are 650 different prayers in the Bible. Uh, I did not count those. I got that number from someone else. They might be off by one or two. Uh, That being said, I, I think they are definitely off because I don't think their list included direct conversations with God. For instance, uh, in this particular research, they said that the first prayer in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, which says, A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And they said that's the first reference to prayer. But that leaves out. Adam and Eve having a direct conversation with God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Was that a prayer? Would we qualify that as prayer or not? Depends on your definition. Or Cain had a conversation with God, not walking with God in the cool of the day, but God had a conversation with Cain. Was that prayer or not prayer? Again, it depends on your definition. Uh, As I was wisely counseled, be careful about absolutes uh, when it comes to a topic that is so varied and a topic that has such a wide expression. You look through the Bible and you find there are many different postures in prayer. Um, There is sitting. People sit to pray. They stand to pray. They kneel to pray. They lift their eyes to pray. They fall down with their face to the ground to pray. They lift their hands in prayer. 
And so a lot of different physical posturing that goes along with saying prayers. Which one's right? Well, I think probably all of us would say all of the above. Does that mean that other postures in prayer that aren't listed in Scripture are wrong? I don't know that many of us would argue that. There are different voices in prayer. Prayer is talked about as crying out to the Lord. There are other prayers that we would imagine were silent prayers, like Nehemiah saying a prayer as the king has asked him why he is, is, is sad-faced in his presence. And he says a prayer to God. I don't know that that means he fell down on his face and took 10 minutes to pray to God before he answered the king. I don't think any of us would understand it that way. Uh, there's the lifting of voices. There's the prayers that are offered in solitude. There are prayers that are offered when they're praying with others and leading a prayer. Uh, there are prayers where they come together, a crowd of people come together with one voice to pray and pray the same words together. And we're going to talk about that one in Acts chapter 4 in a few moments. You have prayers that involve a lot of different topics. It, it is funny to go through and do a little search or a little bit of research about what are the things for which we should pray. There are hundreds of lists on the things that we should pray for. And they all categorize prayers in a lot of different ways. I remember growing up, and my dad, uh, he had this sermon series that he would do on prayer, and it had a, a picture of a, 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 a drawing of a hand, and he had put words on each finger, and that was, you know, the five different parts of prayer, and it, I mean, literally had a hand up on the screen on his transparency back in those days uh, of of what the different types of prayer were. And I remember him, he would tape down pieces of paper on top of the transparency and take each one off so that you could reveal each one at a time. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all remember the transparency. All the kids are like, what? You know, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that we, we have these, these ideas of, of prayer. And I, some of the lists get up to 20 different topics of prayer that we should be praying for. And they have verses that go along with them and and all of that sort of thing. There are, according to the same list, 450 answers to prayer. 450 answers. So that means we can expect to have an answer two out of three prayers, right? That, that's the formula we're working with here. Uh, you, you know, it... It is funny how we, we tend to like to systematize and make prayers formulaic. And we like to try to make rules, and, and me included. Uh, it, it makes it simple. It makes it uh, something easy to explain to others. It makes it easy to follow a set of guidelines for ourselves on on how we're supposed to pray. And even the apostles, as we talked about two weeks ago, wanted to learn how they could pray better. And so Jesus makes this prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. 
And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then some versions will include, for thine or yours is the glory and the kingdom and the honor forever and ever. Amen. Over in Luke, that, that same example prayer, model prayer is given that we read to you a few weeks ago. Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Give us this day, each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we have also forgiven everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. If I were systematizing prayer, this is the kind of thing I would come up with. That in prayer, there is a focus on God's glory. Father, your name be glorified. Your name be honored. And there's a focus on the kingdom, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that his kingdom come. There's that focus on his will. There's that focus on his provision Give us this day our daily bread. There's a focus on God's forgiveness. Forgive us as we've forgiven others. And then there's the focus on deliverance. Do not deliver us into temptation. Here's what I want to point out to you today. Notice, we don't read of Jesus teaching postures. He doesn't teach voices. He teaches topics. Again, I, I have sat through so many series of lessons that talk about how we need to get on our knees to pray more often. And I don't disagree with that. I, mean, I think that's a great thing to do. You read often of people pray, praying on their knees in Scripture. But that's not what Jesus taught. And, and you read, I, I've heard people talk about the, the need for lifting holy hands in prayer. And, and Paul's clear about that. I wish that all men everywhere would lift their hands in prayer. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. But Jesus taught topics. Jesus' concern when his disciples came to him and said, we want to learn how to pray better, his concern was, well, then here's what you need to pray for. And, and, and maybe... His example was on his knees with his hands lifted up and his eyes directed at heaven. Maybe. We're not revealed that. We are told, here's what to pray for. And I think one of the reasons that Jesus focuses on that is because we don't tend to naturally pray for God's things. We like to pray for are things. We are naturally selfish people. And so Jesus taught his disciples, pray for God's will, God's kingdom, God's glory, God's provision, God's forgiveness, God's deliverance. Pray about God. Pray that God do what God says he's going to do. Pray for the things that God is concerned about. Pray for God's authority to be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for God. Pray about God. And not so much about us. Now again, I, I don't want to speak in absolutes. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for something that, that we need or pray for something that concerns us. 
That, that's not my point at all. But we do that naturally. And Jesus taught them, do this. And you see this when you get over to Acts chapter 4. Everybody open up to Acts chapter 4 with me. Acts chapter 4, you've got this story of Peter. He's been arrested. He has got, been let loose by the Jewish leaders who have, who have basically told them, you need to quit preaching in the name of Jesus. And Peter went, <laughs> that's never going to happen. And he is let loose by the authorities. And so then it says, when you get down, let's find my, my verse here. Uh, Acts chapter 4, when you get down to verse, near the end of the chapter, verse 23, after they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priest and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, the, the crowd, the, the people, the, the, the congregation, the family, when they heard the things that Peter had told them, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against the Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch the name of your holy, uh, stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Did you notice how many times they referred to God in that, in that prayer? How many times they said, your, this was about you, your servant, your ministry, your work, your will, your kingdom. And I think you can actually find all these pieces of, that Jesus told his disciples to pray about. You can find them there in this prayer. You know, Master, you're the ones who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. What, what's that doing? That's giving God glory. That's telling, you know, God knows he made everything. But they are recognizing that God is the maker of everything. That God is the one who's, who is glorified in creation. And so they recognize that in their prayer. You said through the Holy Spirit, the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles raise? That's saying God's, that, that, those were prophecies about God's kingdom. And they're recognizing that God, you said these things were going to happen, and they are happening. We, it's, we, we, we recognize that. They said, uh, they, it shows God's provision there for, you know, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and Gentiles and the people of Israel, they've all assembled together against your Lord, but your Lord, uh, he, he, 
he was successful. That, that God providing all of that. Uh, your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, that's recognizing God's will. Uh, there, grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. Again, God's will and this sense of God's, God's forgiveness, that God uh, used them to accomplish his task, that God would use them even when they are, are weak and they're not courageous and they're not willing to step up and do it. They're saying, let us do your work. And I think the implication there is, and when we don't, let us uh, re renew us. Make us do it. And then that idea of God's deliverance, while you stretch out your hand for healing and signed and wonders are performed through your holy servant, Jesus. That God would do what God's going to do. That's their main concern. Now you might argue with me a little bit, well, I don't know that that's God's will as much as God's forgiveness or, or vice versa. What I want you to recognize in this prayer is this. They prayed about God. Their concern was for God. Their, their, their minds were focused on God's will and not their own. They weren't concerned so much about being protected from what could happen. They were concerned that no matter what happened, God's will was accomplished. And I'll be honest, that's not the way I pray very often. I don't pray for God's will as much as I pray for my own. I don't pray that God's way happens as much as I pray about my things happen. And I spend too much time on the wrong thing when it comes to prayer. And I think the Bible is fairly clear about this. You can see that in, in the prayers of Scripture, especially by the time you get to what Jesus prayed about and when you get over to the things that the apostles and the early Christians prayed about, they were concerned about the will of God, the kingdom of God, and God doing what God wanted to do through them. That's what they were concerned about. Even when help was on the line, they were concerned about God's will. Turn with me over to Philippians chapter 2. Now here you've got Paul writing to Philippian brethren, and he's talking about his fellow worker Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus has, has faced some health concerns, and it says here, starting in verse 25, But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, and my fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my needs. It seems that Epaphroditus was the one that was sent with the monetary gift to Paul as the deliverer, and then he was going to send him back. It continues to say, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. 
Why were they to praise? Why were they to be excited? Why were they to bring honor to God? Not because he was healed, but because he was willing to do the work of God even in spite of his sickness. You turn over to James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Again, a passage of scripture that's talking about prayer and talking about sickness. But notice where the emphasis is placed. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up if he's committed any sins. He'll be forgiven. Do you see the emphasis there? Send for the elders. Not because they're doctors, not because they're good at, 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 at distributing medicine. Call for the elders because what is most important is not your health but your soul. Call for, the, call for the elders because they will come and pray for you and if you have sinned, you will be forgiven. Where's the focus? It's not on them feeling good, but on them being good. And I think we lose sight of that sometimes. You, here's what we do instead, or at least, I mean, I, I have a hard time saying we. Here's what I do instead. James chapter 4, starting in verse 1. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from their passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You see that? When I fill my prayers with what best pleases me, I don't receive answers to those prayers. Those aren't the prayers that God is, is concerned about granting. Those aren't the prayers that God has, has promised to be a faithful deliverer of. We pray about what we want Way too often, again, let me be careful, I pray about what I want way too often. I pray about what makes life easy for me. I pray about what makes me look good. I pray that my brother or my sister be healed because I want them to be healed. I pray about what is best for me with my little bit of information, my little bit of knowledge, and my little bit of foresight. And then I'm shocked when I don't get, the, get a positive answer to that. Why are we shocked? Why do we grow frustrated with God when God's not just giving us all the stuff we want? Because I, I fear we've lost sight of what pr the, the prayer can be of what prayer should be even. That prayer is our opportunity to focus on the will of God 
more than any other thing. Turn with me to a few passages here. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 42. Luke 22, I want to read verse 42. Jesus here says, Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, or if you're willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Scott already referred to this in his Lord's Supper talk. Did a great job with that. Jesus wanted God's will. Now you get a lot of debate on what the cup is and what he's asking for here. And I don't personally believe he was asking to avoid going to the cross. I, I think uh, there's something else going on here. I've preached about that before. If you've got questions about that, ask me afterwards because I don't want to spend a lot of time going over that. But regardless of what he was praying for, what was he most concerned about? God's will. And that's in keeping with the other things that he taught on prayer and that the disciples taught on prayer. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 1, verse 10. Romans chapter 1, verse 10. I'm going to read verse 8 down through 10 to get the whole sentence. But first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will... I may now at last succeed in coming to you. What was he concerned about? He, he wanted something. He wanted even something that I think probably all of us would say is a good thing to want. He wants to go to Rome. He wants to meet these brethren there. He wants to help in their church. He wants to be a, a servant to them and help them as they grow. But only if it was God's will. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Do you see that guarantee of prayer? That guarantee of prayer was based on the caveat that if he will, in his will, what he wants, what he says is right, that's what we pray for. And then Jesus goes on to say, we must pray believing that he has given us the things that we have asked for. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. I love the way Paul puts it over in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Uh, Be anxious for nothing. But rather, in prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God with thanksgiving. Why with thanksgiving? Because when you request it, knowing that it is his will and believing that he is answering that prayer, then you can go ahead and say thank you. But that requires us to be praying for what he wills. So the question becomes, I think logically, how do we know what he wills? How do we know if we're supposed to pray for what he will, if we're supposed to pray for what is within his will, how do you know what that is? Well, 
I think, several ways. Um, oftentimes, whenever you, you do any study on this particular topic, you get God's will kind of divided up into categories. I, I think it's a little bit helpful for us here. There is a sense in which there are, there are things God wills that are part of his sovereign will. And the reason I, I put it that way is because there are things God has already predetermined. This is the way it's going to work no matter what. This is what I have sovereignly said. This is what will happen. And there's all sorts of passages that talk about God's sovereignty and God's in control and that God is the one who knows and God is the one who knows the future and he has determined this is the way it's going to happen. There are also things in Scripture that we would call God's moral will. They are not predetermined aspects of our world or our lives, but they are things that God has said this is right versus this is wrong, and he desires what is right. You know, Deuteronomy 29, 29, uh, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed are given to us and our children forever so that we might obey the Lord. So God reveals his moral will, his desire for right, and his abhorrence of wrong in the word of God. And that's something that's talked about often. And if we will just search the word of God, we can discover what is his will regarding moral issues. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You want to know where God says we should go next, what our next step should be, look in his word. That is the lamp that leads you forward. That, that Psalm 119, 105. But then there's this other piece that I don't know that we often talk about. We think about it, but we don't talk about it. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, There is what I like to call God's permissive will. Meaning, it's not something he has determined from before time began or something that is an exercise of his authority. It is not something that is necessarily a right or wrong thing, but it is an issue of will God do this or not because it's not one of those other things. You know, will God heal my friend? Is, is it his will or not? And that's the kind of thing we struggle with, right? Like, we don't really struggle with those first two, which is why I'm not spending a lot of time on them. We know if God has said this is the way it needs to happen, then that's the way it needs to happen, and he has, he has revealed some of that for us. And we know God has revealed his moral understanding or his moral desires regarding what is right and wrong, and that we should be praying for good things or right things to happen. But what about neutral things? not an issue of his sovereign will. It's not an issue of his moral will. What do we pray for? Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God. Of God. God, I don't think, 
could be wrong, but God, I don't think, cares whether I eat a slice of pizza this afternoon, a hot dog, or a salad. My wife probably does, but God does not. Which one of those would be best? Because it says, whatever you eat or drink, whatever it is. Now, here, dealing with the context of meat sold in, to, to, in marketplaces that have been used to, in the worship of idols and all that, I understand the context uh, and that there is a sense of a moral issue involved in their choice of food in this context. And there's not in my pizza versus salad scenario. I get that. But whether I do, you know, whichever one I do, the principle still stands that I must do it to the glory of God. Take that and apply it to prayer. There are things that, that are happening in my life that, that it's not an issue of God's sovereign will and it's not a right or wrong decision that, you know, that, that would be clear as to which one I should be praying for. But there are plenty of things that happen in my life or happening in the lives of those that I love that, that, that I can't really define based on his sovereign will or his moral will. What should we be praying for in those cases? The glory of God. That's what we should be praying. That God uses this scenario, that God uses this sickness, that God uses this healing, that God uses this, this opportunity, that God uses this choice of where I'm going to work or where I'm going to move or whatever the decision is that I'm making. God used those things for God's glory and that God used me for his glory, that all things be done for his glory. Not for my glory, not for my ease, not for what makes me happy, but for God's purposes. And that's where I fail in prayer. What about you? Because it is so easy to sit down and just pray for what makes things good for you and me. We need to not be doing that. We need to be praying for what is good for him. What pursues his kingdom, his will, his provision, his for, you know, uh, asking for his forgiveness, but everything being done for his glory. And I tell you, there's the passage over in 3 John that scares me a little bit. And I don't really, uh, it's, it's a, well, turn with me. So, Third John, there was a statement made by John here that I kind of wonder if we shouldn't be thinking this way because it would help put life back in perspective. He says here, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, Dear friends, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health. Just as your whole life is going well. Now, my footnote in my Bible says, as your soul prospers. New American Standard Version says it this way. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. 
ESV, which many of you have, says, as it goes well with your soul. And the implication of the language here is not, I hope that you're in good health and your soul, you know, kind of as an afterthought, and your soul is doing well too. No, what the implication is, I hope that your physical life reflects the goodness of your spiritual life. Ooh. Does that, does that give anybody else the shivers a little bit? I mean, I hope, I'm just going to make some parallels that might be, uh, I, I hope these aren't out of context, but I hope you eat food as often as you eat spiritual food. How you doing spiritually? How you doing physically? That, ooh. I hope that you feel as good physically as you are spiritually healthy. Anybody going to the doctor? Anybody wondering what that nagging feeling is or why you feel so sick? No, I'm not saying at all. Don't, don't take me. I'm not saying that there is a direct correlation between your spiritual life your, your physical life, and that if you don't feel well, that must mean you be, you're doing some spiritual thing very, very wrong at all. I, I'm saying it's is a good way to think about your spiritual life in a way that maybe puts a little more reality on it. Do, if your physical self reflected the health of your spiritual self, how you doing? Let me reply this uh, to, to prayer. I hope that your relationship with your spouse is as strong as your relationship with your God. Anybody getting counseling yet? I, I hope not. I mean, that, honestly, the way John words it here is with confidence that Gaius is in a great spiritual health and that he hopes that he is physically doing as wonderfully as he is doing spiritually. And the assumption here is that Gaius is doing wonderfully spiritually. And I'll be honest, that's my, that's my assumption with you. I, unless I have a reason to think otherwise, I assume you're doing wonderfully spiritually. But you know reality. You know how you're really doing. And I wonder, do, are, are we truly, if there was some sort of physical, visible expression of our spiritual health, if we wouldn't maybe take it a little more seriously than we do when we can kind of hide it, or we can keep it behind closed doors, or we can keep our weaknesses invisible and nobody has to know, but of course we know God knows. We, we've got a great opportunity through prayer to grow stronger, to be more focused on God, to be more focused on his kingdom and his will and his way of doing things. We have an opportunity in prayer to grow if we will just use it. If we will come to God 
and focus on God. Now, again, I'm not speaking in absolute. I'm not saying you can't pray about your difficult job situation. And I'm not saying you can't pray about your your loved one who's sick or your own physical health. My point is not to eliminate what we do spiritually. My point is to add to it and maybe even give you a greater, give a greater weight to what we do, what we don't do naturally, which is focusing on God. He is worth focusing on. He is worth being the center of our attention. He is worth being the focus of our prayers. And I think we would all grow if we developed that skill. If you're not a Christian, that's your first step. Focus on God by becoming one of his children. Bring him honor by becoming one of his children. Let him do what he does best as he washes away your sins in baptism. And if that's what you need, we want you to to do that. We want to help you. We want to teach you. We want to walk with you. We want to baptize you so that you can start that relationship with God. And for those of us who have long been in a relationship with God, we all recognize there's still ways to grow. There's still ways to develop. And I hope that you will focus on that in prayer over these next several weeks. If you need the invitation to get your life right or need the prayers of the saints here, please come forward as we stand to sing this. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.